Good morning, everybody. Those, uh, those words on that song, what the enemy meant for evil, God works for the good. From Genesis, um, story of Joseph. Exactly the words that I need to hear today. And so my prayer is, those will be the words playing in my mind all week. Perhaps for you all too, but that's just all about me for a second. So, <laughs> God is good, and all the time. Uh, yeah, God is good, and there's a lot of things in the world sometimes that aren't very good, but we can rest on the fact and the faith and the promise and the trust that God is good. Uh, so we are in the third week of Lent, the third Sunday of Lent. That means we're halfway there, almost to Easter. Uh, I shared a few weeks ago that the, uh, the season of Lent is it's a time of preparation. Uh, it's a time of repentance. It's a time of self-denial. Uh, it's a time in many ways, of death. Uh, traditionally in the church, there have been three points of focus uh, during the season of Lent. One of those uh, points is fasting. Uh, during this time, we, we focus in on fasting. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. I pray um, that your, your fast and what you've chosen to give it up for Lent, I pray that's going well and that God's using it to, to grow you, to stretch you, to strengthen you. Uh, the other thing, besides fasting, that we, uh, the church typically focuses on during Lent is prayer. And so where we give up something, we increase in, in prayer, and we spend more time devoted and kind of focused in on prayer. And in my own roundabout way, I talked about that last week. And then the third thing that the church typically focuses on during the season of Lent is almsgiving or uh, giving or showing care to the poor and to those in need. And it's not that, you know, this is the only time of the year that we need to worry about those sorts of things. Um, it's not the only time of the year that we show our care and concern for others, but we take a special time each year and focus in and concentrate our efforts on that. And so sometimes how this uh, idea of almsgiving or caring for the poor, some, a lot of times how that looks like is, is the, the money and the funds that you save from consuming less because you're, you have given up something, those funds then tend to go to the poor, to the needy, those, those in need. Uh, and so, for example, if, if you decided to not go to the coffee shop 27 times in a week, you know, during Lent, then that $5,300 you save each week would be put in your alabaster box. And that's, that's kind of how those things um, work out, for, for example. But like I said, this is not something, caring is not something that we just reserve for 40 days out of the year. Uh, this is actually the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, in the youth group, we've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, we're almost halfway through. But 
one of the very first things that you, we read about in the book of Acts is the, the characteristics of the early church, what the early church looked like, their practices, their behaviors. And, and this is what we see, and this is in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then just a couple chapters later in chapter 4, we read this, these words beginning in verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So that's the early church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowshipping together. They were devoted to, you know, taking communion together, meeting together, all these things. But they were also committed to caring for one another. Caring for one another. The, the, the line that we're kind of kind of focus in on this morning was that line that says, there was not a needy person among them. I mean, could you imagine that? There's not a needy person among them. How many churches and how many communities do you think could say that today? There's not a needy person among us. Could we say that? There's not a needy person among us. It's a pretty difficult thing to accomplish. Uh, in fact, in my estimation, there's really only two ways that that could be possible. First way is to be very selective in our membership and make sure we only let people with no needs in the door. Then we could say there's not a needy person among us. But the other way to do it, the way that we should do it, is through the resurrection power of Christ at work in the church. Because take a look again at that passage. What does it say? It says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. With great power, the apostles continued to testify regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. It's really interesting to me that the natural occurrence, the natural result of the work of God in the church was that there was no needy people among them. See, this idea of taking care of one another, showing care and concern and love for one another, this is something that Christians have always taken very seriously. In fact, there's a, a quote by a guy named St. John Chrysostom. Hard to, hard to say. 
Well, I've seen it floating around Facebook, but it's a quote, and it says this. Uh, it says, not to share our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but theirs. Not to share in our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor. This is a matter that's the core of what it means to be Christians. Christians are people who care. Christians are people who respond to the needs of those around them. And when the church is at its very best, this is something that we do the best. It's the church that have started the hospitals and the orphanages and the charities. It's, it's the Christians. Uh, in fact, uh, it's something that we often throughout, I don't know, at least my lifetime, like to point out and say, look at this. Is, the church does a lot of good in the world, and, and that's good. We should point it out. And it, but it's come to a point lately where I think people outside the church get annoyed at us being able to point that out. And so what they do is like, well, we'll show them, and we'll just start our own charities, and we'll take care of the poor. We'll, we'll, we'll show them. <laughs> when the church is at its best, this is what we do best. We care. But when we're not at our best, this is a lot of times one of the very first things that gets ne neglected. Uh, we will hold very tightly onto the rituals and the traditions of the church, and we, we really should. Uh, these, the rituals and the traditions and the things we participate in and practice together, these are good and beautiful and edifying things, and we should always do them. In fact, I was really wanting to, to do communion again today, but... I wasn't sure I could get the cup open, so. <laughs> so I just said, you know what, PTSD, I'm not going to do that again. We, uh, so we hold on to the rituals, and we hold tightly to them when we should, and we, we continue to, to promote good and correct doctrine and teachings, making sure everybody believes the correct thing, and we should do that. Uh, in that regard, there's a few in our church uh, this next week going up for the first district license interview, and they will be sitting in front of people asking questions about the articles of faith and all that. Pray for them this week. But we should promote correct doctrine and correct teaching. And in the church, we, we will stand against sin, and that's something we should always do as long as we learn how to do it with love and gentleness and grace. We should always stand up against what is evil in the world. We should, we should teach the correct things, and we should hold on to the, the traditions, but we could have all of that but still be lacking. Paul said in Corinthians, right, if you do all these things but have not love, what's the point? So we could hold on to all these things, and then one day we'd get the knock on the door, and we'd answer the door, and there'd be a messenger there with a letter for us, and we'd open up the envelope, and we'd read the letter, and the letter would say to us something like this, Revelation chapter 2. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, I, I've heard that passage a bunch of times. I've heard it taught. I've taught it myself a bunch of times. And every time I've taught it and every time I've heard it taught, it, it typically, well, the way, the way that I teach it usually is you've lost your love for Christ. Uh, you've lost the, the passion and the enthusiasm and the excitement that you once had for Christ. And, and, and invariably, when this is taught, we hear things like, don't you remember when you were first saved and how excited you were for your faith? And then we point out, look how you know, these new believers are so excited and we need to go back and be that excited again. And that's typically how we teach that passage. And there's nothing wrong with that. I will probably, again, one day teach it like that. But this week as I was kind of juggling and thinking about what I wanted to talk about, and teaching it exactly like that was one of the things I was contemplating. But I read it up against that passage in Acts. And I, when I read those two together, and I saw there was not a needy person among them, and then I saw you have forsaken the love you had at first, I kind of saw it in a new light. And I kind of, you know, had to rub my eyes a little bit, squint, tilt my head, and think, maybe it's not saying what I've always thought it was saying. And so I went and I checked a bunch of commentaries. I scrolled through the, the pages, well, scrolled through the screen to see what all the smart people said about this passage. And I read several. And many of them, if not most of them, said that the love they once had very well could mean and could be not a love for Christ, but the love they once had for one another. The care that they once had for one another. Now, maybe, maybe that's wrong and maybe someone wants to insist, no, it's absolutely talking about a love for Christ. That's okay. You, you can insist that. That's fine. Because ultimately, if it is absolutely and only talking for a love of Christ, at the end of the day, we still end up at the same place. Because to love Christ is to care for others, and to care for others is to love Christ. And these two things can never be separated. And, and, and besides that, you know, if, if we want to insist, no, it's definitely talking about Christ, that's fine. But, but we can't insist that it's talking about some sort of inner passion and enthusiasm that we once had that we have to get back. Because look at the instruction given in the letter. It's not go and stir up more warm feelings inside of you once again. Go work yourself up into an excitement and a passion that you want. It, it's not that. The, the instruction given to us and given to the church in Ephesus in that letter is this. In Revelation 2.5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things. Do the things you did at first. It doesn't say feel the feelings you felt at first, though that's a lot funner to say do the things. And so what are the things that they did at first? Well, we read about it in the book of Acts, right? It included being devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship together and breaking of bread and all those things, but it also include, included caring for one another, right? Caring for one another. 
It's something they did. See, the word care, it's a, it's a tough word. It's a hard word. It's a difficult word because it's not just us standing around in a pool of pity, feeling sorry for the state of the world. Looking back at the good old days and thinking about how the kids have just ruined everything now. No, to care is about sacrificial actions. It's not about empathetic emotions. Now, we are still too early in in the season of Lent to be talking too much about resurrection. But in the early church, the reason there was not a needy person among them was because the resurrection power of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit was at work in the church, period. The, the Holy Spirit brought life and provision in, in the church to the degree that when Luke was writing those words in the book of Acts, he was able to say there was not a needy person among them. God was at work in the church. And when I say God was at work in the church, I, I don't mean that this is God raining down bread from heaven sort of thing. I don't, you know, we're not talking about a cloudy with a chance of meatballs sort of miracle here. We're talking about the resurrection power of Christ, the Holy Spirit at work in and through the church. So if we're going to bring up the resurrection power of Christ, and since we're in Lent, I, I had to find a way to, to squeeze this quote in there again, this idea in there again, because it's so good. And I was wondering how I was going to do it this week, so I just got my shoehorn, and here we are. The resurrection, the prerequisite to resurrection is death, right? We've been saying that. If you're getting tired of me saying it, blame Dr. McPherson for bringing it up in the first place. But if we... We think of that idea and we look at the, that passage in Acts through that sort of idea. Well, we begin to see that the poor among them, they experienced the resurrection power of Christ through the fact that their needs were being met. That's how they were Experiencing the resurrection power. Look what it says. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So this is how uh, many in the church were experiencing the resurrection power of Christ because their needs were being met. But in order for them to experience that resurrection power in their lives in order for their needs to be met, something had to happen. And what was that? Death. Some in the church had to die to their desires. They had to die to their plans. They had to die to their possessions. They had to die to their wealth, their self-sacrificial, self-denial. Their death was a necessary ingredient for the provision in the life of others in the church. So that's what it says, right? Many in the church, they sold what they had. They brought it to the apostles and distributed it among them. They had to give up a part of them in order to bring life and provision to others. The prerequisite to resurrection is death. So I will say again, to care is self-sacrificial action. It is not empathetic emotions. Christians willing 
It is Christians willing to sacrifice themselves that makes a way for the resurrection power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to do what the Holy Spirit does. And that's bring life, bring health, bring healing, bring restoration, bring wholeness, bring all of these things. Self-sacrifice is the work in the heartbeat of the church because self-sacrifice is the work in the heartbeat of Christ. And what is the church but the, the, the spirit-filled presence of Christ in the world now? And if that's the case, if the church truly is the spirit-filled presence of Christ in the world right now, which we are, then how can we be anything less than self-sacrificial? How can we do anything but lay it down all on the line for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ, and then watch what God might do? There's an old church document. I neglected to write the name of the document in my notes, so you don't get to know what it is. But it was written around 200 AD, they believe, and in this document, there's this line that you might have heard before. This is how it's been translated into English. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now that, of course, was written about actual martyrs dying for their faith, but the same, I think, the same spirit can be said about those who choose to live a life of self-sacrifice. That is the seed of the church. What happened in the early church when all those needs were being met, when they were loving and caring for one another and devoted? It says... Numbers were being added to daily. The blood of the martyrs, the self-sacrificial life is the seed of the church. And we as Christians are self-sacrificial people. Christians are people who care. We are caring people. That's just who we are. We can't help it because Christ is in us. And so this week, as I was considering this, uh, the, the connectedness of these two ideas of the resurrection power of Christ being at work and the needs of those around us being met, as I was considering these two ideas and this close connection that we see in the book of Acts, it, I couldn't help but remember something I heard someone say in a video long ago. And this guy that was talking, he essentially said that to live a life or, or to not live a life of self-sacrifice is essentially to live a life that denies the resurrection. And he said that every time that we don't serve our neighbors and every time that we turn our back on the poor and, and those in need, every time we do that, we are denying the resurrection. Now, that's not, not something that we would ever do with our mouth. But is it possible to do that with our actions or lack thereof, I suppose, in this case? And he went on to say in the video about, you know, every time, though, when we stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, when we provide for those in need, when we weep for those with no more tears to shed, we are affirming the resurrection. Those are, those are really big Words, those are like that's a heavy thought. And, and the difficulty with them is I think it might be true. Now, a big part of me wishes they were not true because if it is true. That brings maybe a little bit of discouragement my way. 
and definitely a lot of challenge because, sure, I know. I know that when the church is at its best, and this is the thing we do best, right? We care for one another. We, we live self-sacrificially. We care in genuine and tangible ways, and, and the church is willing to suffer and to, to be annoyed and to, to go through inconveniences and to take on expenses, and the church is willing to give up plans for the sake of others because that's Christ, and the church is the spirit-filled presence of Christ in the world, and I know the church does that, but then I wonder, does that describe me? I heard a preacher tell a story once about a lady in his church. I'm going to tell this story in the first person, even though it's not my story. But he said, on one Sunday, I had to leave early for a prior engagement. I had an appointment to go to. And so after the benediction, after the service, I headed right through the back room, through the choir room, to get to my car as quickly as I possibly could because I had to make this appointment. And rushing through the choir room, I saw a woman there hanging up her choir robe, getting ready to leave. And for nicety's sake, I told her, you know, I appreciate very much the song this morning. You did great. Good job, you know. And continued out the door. But before I could get to the door, she turns and said, well, I'm glad you appreciated it because that's it. Stopped in my tracks, turned, looked at her and said, what do you mean that's it? That's it, I'm hanging it up. What do you mean you're retiring? Which would make sense. She's been in the choir for a couple hundred years. It makes sense that she would retire. But she says, no, I'm not retiring. I'm quitting. You're quitting. She said, yes, I'm quitting. You're not really quitting. Yes, I'm, I'm quitting. Well, why are you quitting? She said, I sat up there in the choir loft this morning and looked around at the other choir members. And I looked at the minister and I looked at the worship leader and I looked at the ushers and just looked out over the con congregation. And I said to myself something that has haunted me for years that I had never been able to say out loud, nobody cares. Who cares? Well, I was in a hurry. I had a, an appointment to get to after all, so I said, you know what, you'll be fine, you'll be all right. Just get home, have some lunch, take a nap. Everything will be okay. Went out to my car and drove down the road, and all I could think about was what that woman said. It was an indictment against the church. It was an indictment against me and every member of the church because what she said, if it were true, what she was saying was, well, we are not really a church. Because if in her opinion, after longtime membership and active participation within the church, that if she truly believed that the sum gesture of that church was a shrug of the shoulder, then what she was saying is this was not a church. So when I got home that afternoon, I called that lady and I said, I want to talk to you. She said, come on over. So I went over, I talked to her, we talked and we disagreed. Until I finally asked her, what would it take to prove to you, to show to you that we care? She said, take me seriously. See me. What do you mean see you? I see you every week, every now and again. I even come and visit you. What do you mean see me? She, did, she said, I don't mean I need visitors. I mean I want someone to see me. 
When I left that lady's house, I said to her, you're wrong, you know. You're wrong. She said, I'm not wrong. No, you're, you're wrong. See, because I get to travel to churches all across the country, and I meet people, and I talk to people all over the country, and everywhere I go, I meet people who care for each other and who take care of each other. She said, where? I said, everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, there's people who care, who really, really care. She says, really? I said, yes. So she said, name some. The lady wanted a name. And the reason this is so challenging to me is because uh, I sit here, I stand here in front of you, and I wonder, would my name qualify? Would my name work? And if, my, and if not my name, perhaps we could give her your name. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace, for your presence with us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us, your will, your love, your presence, your spirit. Lord, that our hearts would be formed and shaped to care for one another in self-sacrificial ways, to care for the needs of the world in self-sacrificial ways. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. As always, our altar is open if you'd like to pray. Um, after the service, if you'd like to talk to Pastor TJ about something you've heard this morning or just need some prayer yourself, we'd uh, love to offer that to you. But uh, let's sing this together as we close.
Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I just thank you so much for each person here, for each family represented here. Lord, I pray your presence, your grace, your peace be upon each home. Lord, that your will would be done in our homes, in our church, and in our community. That we would seek after you and after your presence, Lord. God, may the song that we just sung be the prayer of our heart. Lead us to the cross.